Hi, my name is Sarah Rachel Brown. I'm a 30-something-year-old woman, and I live in Philadelphia. I'm a contemporary jeweler. And like many others, I am an artist trying to make a living. On this podcast, I'm going to broach the subject of value. I'll be talking to studio artists and performers, educators and administrators, and anyone else attempting to combine their creative endeavors with how they get a paycheck. I previously mentioned that I worked with a podcasting coach. Her name is Katie. She's the principal of Vocal Fry Studios based in Toronto, Canada, and she has agreed to come on my podcast. I am very excited to introduce you to her all. And why am I mentioning this? Well, the work I did with Katie mainly focused around how to effectively price my podcasting services, which if you follow my work, even the tiniest bit, you know I was very excited about. And it was very necessary because I was ready to take the next step, create something for somebody else, and get paid to do it. Katie guided me every step of the way of creating and negotiating my proposal to work with American Craft Magazine. It's wild to think that August marks exactly one year from when I signed my contract for the job. American Craft Podcast amplifies the voices of artists and innovators covered in the beautiful pages of American Craft Magazine. Through intimate conversation and storytelling, listeners, that's you, get an up-close experience of how artists work with materials and develop their designs, how objects come into being, and what it means to live a life in craft. Object As, the series I hosted and produced, has been released and is ready for your ears. The American Craft Council has given me permission to share an episode from the series with you all here on my very own RSS feed. Look at me, I'm cross-promoting, and Coach Katie would be so proud. I am honored to share my conversation with Nigerian-American artist Bokola Koki. Bokola is a fiber artist, scholar, and student of textiles and fiber-based sculpture, printmaking, and book arts. She is seeking a tenure-track position in fibers and material culture, fiber-based sculpture, and printmaking departments with unconventional, visionary mindsets about the many intriguing possibilities at the confluence of art, craft, and printmaking. Contact details at www.bukolakoki.com. And of course, I'm going to link all her links in the description of the podcast. I might be biased, but I just want to say getting to know Bacola has been an extreme pleasure. And I think anybody given the opportunity to have her teach at their university, etc., would be very, very fortunate. So please look into her resume. It is extensive. I am thrilled that the American Craft Council sees the value in having a podcast, and I hope you do as well. Please find the American Craft Podcast wherever you listen. It's important that you subscribe to let them know you're interested and you want to hear more. You're listening to Object As a six-part series from the American Craft Podcast supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts. Subscribe to the American Craft Podcast wherever you listen 
or visit craftcouncil.org. To find out more about how National Endowment for the Arts grants impacts individuals and communities, visit www.arts.gov. Objects fashioned by craft artists can do more than appeal to the eye in hand. They can speak to our cultural, political, environmental, and social climates. They can comment on today's issues, inspire conversations. They can be acts of rebellion. That's the point of the Object As project, for which six artists were chosen by six curators to create works that speak subtly, directly, intimately, publicly about issues that matter to them. On this episode, we're featuring Nigerian-American transdisciplinary artist Bukola Koki, whose work strives to collapse the single story of the immigrant experience by engaging and interpreting the liminal spaces she inhabits through research and explorations of linguistic phenomena, cultural ontologies, and more. Let the conversation begin. It's like, yeah. You know, <laughs> that's the plight of students studio professors you're like cleaning up afterwards I mean your students are pretty good um if you remind them and stuff like that of cleaning up but you always inevitably mm-hmm. doing it <laughs> yeah <laughs> or helping out and yeah etc sure. um Bukola I'm really excited for our conversation today um, Aww, thank you for thanks. joining me <laughs> thank um, you for your time listen so for those listening, would you please introduce yourself to them? Um, give your full name. Would you please share your pronouns and then tell everyone where you're currently living and working? My name is Bukola Puiki. I, uh, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm currently living in Lewiston, Maine, uh, teaching at Bates College as the inaugural um, artist in residence for their Bates Collaborative. And that's a new position for you, correct? Yes, it is a new one after a very trying two years of the pandemic uh, where I was very housing insecure. So to have five months of steady housing, steady pay, very Mm -hmm. generous. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm I'm grateful to be here. And um, everyone's been super kind, students are great, yeah. Yeah, I was just, that was going to be my question. I was like, how long is the residency? Because you never know. Five months is great. It's a nice little stretch. Right, yeah. Five months ends in May. Um, mm-hmm. I have resident. I have a residency in July after that. I hope to go home maybe around June. And the hope um, is to hopefully segue right into a, a job in August, a teaching job in August. So doing a mm-hmm. lot of looking and applying for um hopefully more like tenure track, something tenure track this um, fall. I always, whenever I'm working with students, I'm like, working artists are always thinking six to 12 months out. (laughs) And if you're not, you're going to lag between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm excited to talk about that more with you. Um, You mentioned going home. Is that, can you tell us where home is? Yeah, so (laughs) this is also, of course, a crux of my job um home Mm -hmm. is many places um at this point in my life but um where i was born is lagos nigeria my family my parents and specifically my brother baba tunde Mm -hmm. who's um 
one the this uh, boy right after me um, I still live there and then I have a younger our youngest younger sister lives in the north in the capital Abuja and then my um, brother our uh, second brother uh, the third kid uh, he lives in Scotland so home is many places but <laughs> by home yeah. just then I meant Lagos Nigeria to see the folks you know I haven't mm-hmm. been home in a long while yeah. Have you not been home since the pandemic? Uh, longer. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I hadn't been home since I was in uh, just about to finish my final year of grad school. My sister got married, so I went home over the winter break um, mm-hmm. to attend her wedding and then came back. And yeah, and it's been sort of running and gunning since <laughs> since then. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the pandemic didn't help. <laughs> so yeah, and then um, of course the pandemic. So I think the reality, frankly, is that this position not only allows me a roof over my head after so much insecurity, but also the funds to be able to go home. Yeah, yeah. that's really really great. I'm excited for you. <laughs> Thank um, you. Will you go for? You said June. Are you going to go for? I would assume that you would go for like a month or. Like a longer uh, trip, or maybe a little. You're well, like, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. I, I don't, you know, I, I can't speak for all, <laughs> all immigrant uh, kids, but there's always this, especially if you've been abroad a long time. There's always this element of like you can't go home again because you mm. think you fit in, but you stand out like a sore thumb. Um, oh yeah. In a way, and um, you know the familiarity after a while means people start reverting to like the old ways they saw you you're still the 18 year old who left home etc and I had experienced that in a previous iteration of a trip going home so I think two weeks is usually a safe bet if I could stay a little longer I will too but you know I'm also trying to sort of work around giving myself a little rest between trips because I might also be going on a research trip um God willing, if that's allowed from my um, the stipend that comes with my um, residency, I might oh, okay. go on a research trip to uh, back to um, the UK to visit the archives, British archives and library. Maybe the I think it's the Victoria and Albert Museum because they have a archive of head ties, etc. But anyway, yeah, it's like. Uh, mm-hmm. Just plotting, plotting the summer, plotting. <laughs> COVID like willing and, you know, many other things. Willing. Yeah. Um, so your parents, were they creatives? Would you say that you followed <laughs> in their footsteps? This is such a lovely question because, you know, when I saw it, I was like, they don't think of themselves that way at all. But, mm. you know, maybe hindsight's twenty twenty, or maybe you sort of um, romanticize things when you're... <laughs> when you get older trying to justify where your own passions come from but I would say I think I think they are Uh, my mother um, went to um, secretarial school her mother was an entrepreneur who did I think upright um, Yoruba upright weaving and um, she was known as um, Yalakarashi which is sort of like um, the lady the bean cake lady <laughs> she did these fried okay. bean cakes that that was her primary business um so she was a 
amazing cook. Like we used to go and be stuffed within an inch of our lives by our grandma. <laughs> um, and my, and so, you know, she learned that my mother is also a fabulous cook because of her mom. So she's creative in that way, but also she's entrepreneurial when she was um, working for a rather large bank in, um, in Nigeria, specifically Lagos, for most of her career and an admin for the same bank. Um, on yeah. the side, she first had a shop that mostly sold like, um, you know, canned goods, provisions, home, home, homeware, that kind of thing. And then she segued into um, tailoring. Okay. So yeah, she already used to, knew how to sew. She used to make some of our clothes when we were young, but um, she then had a tailoring shop that included um, eventually, um, embroidery machines. So she made everything mm-hmm. from replicas of like Western wear in traditional, um, uh, wax prints and cottons, et cetera. Um, and made, um, traditional full regalia to the traditional wear with embroidery and all of that. Um, yeah. for most of my life growing up, that's um, completely creative. Absolutely, isn't it? But yeah, and <laughs> I, she's she a, I mean, technically that herself. makes her a fiber artist, which, yeah. you know. <laughs> I know. I think she, to her and to most Nigerian mothers, she's like, it's just my, it's my business. I run the business. Sometimes I mm-hmm. help like with the sewing, but I have people who do that, that kind of thing. So I don't think she thinks about her that way, but herself that way, but she can cut a mean pattern and they don't, yeah. they're not these like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, there's not these like, uh, ready-made patterns etc she yeah. uh, someone tells her what they would like she can sometimes draw it out but ba- you know based on oh, okay you want flared <laughs> a flared sleeve here a puff sleeve there you know mm-hmm. your skirt you want your skirt more a-line or you know that kind of thing she can draw all of that out or people bring her a picture and she'll figure things out and she can cut a pattern from yeah. memory just by looking at them based on their measurements um so she's a she's a proper tailor <laughs> she just ended up being more of a manager eventually um as part of that business which was she's since ended but yeah, yeah for most of my life she did that so that's my mom my dad um is a um chartered surveyor he does both mm-hmm. um land and real estate property surveying um okay. and i think he made I think he may, I may be so wrong, but I think he may have also told me he, he's done um, or has some understanding of like aquatic su- surveying as well. But um, he studied in the UK uh, long before I was born. Um, I think he was there for 10 years and that's where he went to um, school to learn that. Um, yeah. And um, when he came back to Nigeria, he incidentally became the surveyor for the same banking system that my mother worked at, which is how he met her. And then, you know, promptly started to, you know, mack on her by going into her office <laughs> and bothering her every so often, etc. <laughs> so, but, you know, he's a, he, as part of surveying, you do a lot of kind of the things that architects do, you know, you have, you yeah. have to learn that particular way of, um, write, writing and drawing. I was fascinated by his handwriting as a kid. <laughs> you know, that yeah. very specific uh, architect uh, block lettering. I loved um, looking at 
blueprints when he would bring them home. He can draw mm-hmm. a floor, mean floor plan, you know. So yeah. I was, um, I really enjoyed the sort of the technical aspects of his work, uh, which again, I don't think he would think of as necessarily creative, but just that, you know, as a function of his job. So, but I think my father was also creative in other ways. He's the one who introduced us to Motown music and had copious records when I was a kid. Um, Just because someone doesn't make their, oh, sorry. (laughs) I'm just saying, just because someone doesn't make their living as an artist doesn't mean they're not, you know, at their heart. Also architects in, I'm assuming surveyors, their sketchbooks or whatever are the best. They I always they buy. <laughs> yes. You know, the ones where it's like the grids of dots, but there's no uh-huh. lines. And that you, oh, it is Love my secret them. weapon because I can't draw very well. So mm-hmm. that's my goal. And some of my favorite artists used to be in the, in those technical realms. Um, even, for, yeah. even some of my favorite, favorite textile artists, like um, they used to be architects or um, uh, like, urban planners, landscape mm-hmm. people or charter, you know, so for some yeah. reason their art is so specific um, and just really beautiful. I guess I'm just sort of drawn to the technical in that kind of, in that kind of art, I suppose. Anyway. Yeah. So when you finished school and mm-hmm. you were looking at college and et cetera, did you initially think that you were going to go into an artistic field or did your parents encourage otherwise? <laughs> oh man. Okay. So yeah, um, in Nigeria, the artistic field was not a thing. <laughs> I mean, we okay. sort of grew. I'm not. I, that is such a generalization, but what I'll say is, I grew up hearing about these fabulous artists from a, a time back then. You know, uh, Bruce on Abrakwea, um, uh, sort of. His his is the first name that uh, comes to mind, but uh, all of these artists that did things like um, wood pluck, uh, woodblock carvings, um, mm-hmm. they were sculptors of like brass and bronze and painters. So it was also very classical. And of course, mm-hmm. the Nigeria is famous for its Insuka uh, Insuka school, um, which uh, is. Um, based on at this school um, in Sika College um, that is in Eastern Nigeria. And so uh, those are the artists that we were at least exposed to as um, African Nigerian artists when I was in school mm-hmm. and taking art classes. But it, there was no visible pathway to the art world. To okay. be honest, I always say I feel like I sort of <laughs> stubbornly manifest, I don't, this word, I have trouble with this word, but sort of stubbornly um, willed myself, I think is a better way into the art world. Because um, by the time I got to, I think like, what would be the equivalent of junior high here? So like SS2, senior Mm -hmm. secondary two in Nigeria, I already knew, maybe, maybe way before then, because when I was in primary school, I was already winning um, awards um, like I, I won like this World Wildlife Foundation Foundation International um, <laughs> kind of um, okay. art art award. Uh, there was a whole like award ceremony and everything. My parents had never experienced anything like it, so that that kind of stuff kept happening to me as a kid. And they were yeah. like, "We can't even 
my mom used to say like you know the equivalent of I, I can't even draw a stick figure i don't know where this art stuff came <laughs> where from. where is this like, coming from here are here here we are at art dinners and you know <laughs> televised events etc and it's all because of this kid and still they didn't think art would be it i, I just don't yeah. think they thought it was practical and so I just, I also was just not great at math and all the sciences and every, almost every Nigerian household <laughs> wants a doctor, uh, yeah. maybe a lawyer, maybe an engineer or something. And uh, I tried, I went to like school after school in, uh, I, I guess what I meant was I graduated and then I went to another short summer school in order to try and in, improve my science grades and it just you tried i really tried and it <laughs> you just, gave it your best it, it didn't natural. work out so in the end we they thought well maybe we'll you can start out like with a real estate major maybe you can go into your dad's business or something and then yeah maybe you'll figure out what you want to do um but i had when been plotting you- the whole time because I, <laughs> I, you're like this I, is not going to work out they just don't I, know it. well i had my friend yeah so i had a friend Nena Emeyonu, who I'll never forget because she kind of changed the trajectory of my life. And she'll hate to hear me say this because um, she kind of thinks it's okay. Sure. That happened is how she'll <laughs> go. But she um, was um, a student that I went to school with and, and she was super kind and very friendly to me. And I knew that um, she is half American. I think her mom was, and she already knew she was going to school in the, in America. And she mm-hmm. would get all these perspectives from schools and stuff. And I was so curious. And I would be right on her, asking her about them, asking her about school in, in the USA and stuff. And so she was super kind. She would like give me her prospectus and let me look at it. And I read them from cover to cover. And I found out like, what were all the sort of international requirements that you needed? So I realized, oh, yeah. okay, SAT and TOEFL. I talked my father into paying for them. <laughs> nice. And going to take, take, uh, to take, I uh, actually... Um, paid, you know, I, I talked him into paying for them, and I, um, I knew what kind of numbers I was looking for. I did really well in the TOEFL, which now I realize is sort of a remnant of colonialism. Because why have a test of English as a first language for a British colony? But there it is. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and then my SAT was okay, but but at least it was passable. Uh, because again, hey. these these were v- of course it's very Americanized the SATs yeah. and um, while I did re- I think again, <laughs> which was not surprising, did really well in English actually, mm, a oh. little <laughs> a little less in math or something. Yeah. So that was the that was the the gist of it. I got that and then scheming trying to figure out okay how do I get scholarships all of that to get to America to go to school. And mm-hmm. um, I didn't know how that was going to work out. In the meantime, I was going to college. So I had started college in Nigeria. And then all of a sudden, my mom sends me this message. Um, it's actually in my gap year before I even started college. And I was at this computer camp because, you know, newfangled thing called computer science had happened and they had sent me to camp. <laughs> my mom sent me this <laughs> message saying, so your friend came over and said she has some packet for you from a 
person, one of your friends abroad. And what is this about? You may you ha- you need to come home and talk about it or whatever. And so, look at it. And I came um, to came home. We drove to that friend's house, and I, long story short, essentially, it turns out Nenna had entered my name in what was then called the Visa Lottery Program. What? And you had I, no idea. No. Did you get it? Yes. What? <laughs> and that was like. That was what? that was it. I, when I wow. say I have stories, but the the main thing is in my life there has been the thing that's now a meme on social media where it's like what is for you will be for you, and you know yeah. <laughs> which you know when God says this is yours, it will be like you know I, I had willed this thing into existence. I don't know how, but maybe yeah. just by virtue of being again good and kind and friendly mm-hmm. and this person I had really always thought well of and all of that and but I didn't even think she thought of me that closely I think she my yeah. literally my joy and my interest I think somehow rubbed off on her and she <laughs> saw that you were interested yeah yeah so she entered my name and the name of other friends by the way oh wow yeah okay <laughs> and I and I got it so she she was sent this package that you get which is all paperwork um all the many many health tests that you have to do um you have to get your um your school records, your health records, um, take different health tests, take, take different uh, vaccines, et cetera, in order to be eligible, um, get school records. Um, I think something like three different, uh, um, what is that called? Like references. Um, you also had to have someone, a family member who could house you while you were there, which we didn't have. So we yeah. ended up having to... Uh, uh, my one of my mom's good friends who works in the same shop complex that her shops were in um, had an oldest daughter in Houston, and that <laughs> she that's how you a, worked that one. Uh, yeah, okay. And she, like, hastily <laughs> wrote me a hastily written letter with like a a picture of her and her family that was included in the packet. It took literally yeah. it took a year of processing, which is how I ended up starting college while all of this was working out, and then literally like towards the end of my first semester or something at um, Ilefe, which is Abafemi um, Aulo University was where I was going at the time. And um, they were, and they were like, yep, it's time. <laughs> and I oh, it's like, was, oh, you're ready to go now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yes, you're, it's time for you to, we've paid for the ticket and it's time to go. Cause you, after you get your, the interview was, was nuts. That's a whole nother story. At the visa, at the visa, at the American embassy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, who I know has, you know, uh, people think really <laughs> sort of are having a little trouble with at the moment, uh, mm-hmm. uh, has written eloquently about <clears throat> what it's like to be uh, uh, the scenes outside Nigerian embassies. But yeah. needless to say, that was what it was like at the time. But um, it was interesting. How, how old are you during all this? You're like 18? I, I had like... just turned 18 that April. But um, wow. when I when I finally went, but I believe it all happened between 17 and 18, if I'm, if I'm correct. Yeah. And wild times. I, 
I'm just going to ask the question, were you scared? Were you excited? I mean, it seems like a really intimidating thing. It's like, even just to be able to get to the opportunity to be able to go, then the reality sets in that, oh, you get to go, but you're going alone and leaving everything behind, which is terrifying. Which is, was not my choice. You know, I mean, when, when this thing, and it has blessed so many families, that visa lottery yeah. thing. Um, it literally is a one in a million, million, million or whatever kind of like opportunity. What usually happens is you're older, you have children and a family mm-hmm. and you can bring them all. Everyone, every kid up to um, the age of um I think 24, once you're 25, that's like the cutoff age was 20 something. Anyway, Mm -hmm. um, you couldn't bring, but everyone that's a minor, your child, whatever, all of them included in that opportunity to get their green card and can all come with you. But it was just me. And I was a teenager and I, I couldn't, you know, there was no facility and nothing in it, in that, uh, in the rules that allowed me to bring my family with me which would have been my preference. Would your family have wanted to come? Well, that's another question. You know, I, don't, <laughs> okay. I feel like... Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't know if there was a conversation of them yeah, wanting to I come. I mean, maybe your brother and sister, but like, would you, your parents have their life there? Yeah, I don't think that they even knew it was possible. I think they were just as yeah. shocked as I was. We were all kind of in a haze. I, I mean, I commend my yeah. parents thoroughly because I think it was a a real leap of faith, a real, um, act of, um, grace and, um, belief, et cetera, that this must have happened for a reason to let their eldest child, (laughs) um, you know, go off into the ether (laughs) across an ocean to a, a woman they didn't know. They just knew her as the eldest daughter of like my mom's friend friend of a friend yeah. <laughs> a friend, of friend um and hoped that things would work out to be honest so so well this all <laughs> this is in of itself the conversation around your piece so for object as yeah um which while while i have the moment to think about it Maline barnett um, was the individual who nominated you to be a part of this project. Yeah. Do you have a relationship with them? Do you I know don't, them? Yeah. I'm sorry. Are they a they? Um, no, but I tend to go to that pronoun okay. immediately now. Okay. Because no, that's until uh, I know. Yes. That, yeah. <laughs> that, that is always wise. Um, that's the same. It's the safe way these days. So, in, yeah. Indeed. Yeah. No, I, I, I didn't know her before I sort of mm-hmm. had internet, um, you know, pa- you know, sort of gre- greetings, a comment yeah. here, um, yeah. a response to a story. She was always lovely and gracious and really mm-hmm. kind. And I can't remember how it became a little bit more amplified. Oh, yeah, she had been very kind to follow me back. <laughs> yeah. And I was going to through a hard time this this, these two years with the pandemic. And I think I'd written something rather morose, you know, about just (laughs) what it was like sort of (laughs) in that time and feeling like I didn't know if I wanted to go back to academia and what it meant to be an artist and blah, blah, blah. And she, (laughs) and she wrote back something super, super kind in the comments or whatever. Yeah. And then before I knew it a week or two later or something like that, she was like, so, uh, 
you know, American Craft Council asked me to do this thing and nominate someone for this thing. Um, uh, are you interested? And I must have given her every runaround answer known to man. I'm really places. I don't know if I have the space to even do this. And I'm really low on funds. And, you know, I don't really know if I can. And then she would write back and just say, so are you telling me you're not going to do it? Like literally giving me no quarter. And I was yeah. <laughs> like, this happened like twice or something. And then yeah. eventually I was like, yes. And thank you. And she was, is. I could just feel, I, I mean, I'm totally projecting, but I could just feel her say, yep, that, yeah, you were going to do this. I was not going to give you a chance. We, we all need we've seen, in our life. Yeah, we've seen, <laughs> we've seen laughed about it, but she was like, yeah. she, was, she was like, you, you needed this. You needed a way to like pick yourself up and get, get going again or something. So I was super yeah. grateful to her. But yeah, the first way I knew of Malene, Malene, uh, Malene was through the, uh, internets, you know, Melanie's mm-hmm. uh, work has been long well known, and she was one of the few visible um, Black women artists um, yes. who was in um, product design for the home space. You know, she did rugs and um, mm. pillows and accessories and curtains and textiles, etc. And she was one of the first women of color and specifically black women i saw ever women ever um put on design sponge which is how i found her oh, initially oh my gosh um, i forgot back about in the design, design sponge, sponge days i know yeah um and had been following her since then and just Fantastic. obsessed with the way she talks about her work and how she links it with like her, her african-american um lineage and um mm-hmm and respect for her African ancestors and respect for her own um, uh, female matriarchal line. And then following her into her going into um, grad school at Tyler, getting ceramics and killing it. Mm. (laughs) So I have a small crush clearly, but I'm super uh, grateful to her for- (laughs) And I apologize for, I I think I said Malene, it's Malini. Malini, yeah. (laughs) Got it. So you are pushed good for her for pushing you um, to do this piece. And can you for listeners to describe, well, first of all, share the title of your piece. Um, And keep in mind that, of course, the listeners can't see this and listeners, there are links in the description of the podcast that if you want to take a peek at the piece right now while you're listening, you can totally do that. kind of describe what the object looks like and mm-hmm. tell listeners the materials and techniques that you incorporated into it. Right. I'll, I'll do my best, but hopefully <laughs> you'll listen to this and then look at the things and it'll make sense. So yeah. uh, the object is titled The Pool. Um, it is actually one of my more boring titles, so I <laughs> might change it, but, <laughs> but uh, it will make sense once I describe, I guess, the object and then it, its reasoning. So it's two um, house-shaped objects, sort of ab- abstract. Um, they are made from Nigerian head ties. Um, it's important to explain the provenance of the textiles because it goes with the um, idea behind the work. So um, these textiles, uh, from my own research, because I've been obsessed with them for a while now, um, were originally created um, for the Nigerian or what you know West African market by um, 
I think his name may have been Hayes, but the Hayes Limited, which is a textile company based in the UK. And it would make these textiles out of uh, polyester and often also metallic fibers that made mm-hmm. all these um, ex- extensive line of designs. And his goal was to try and um, get a bite out of like, I suppose the traditional wear um, and an adornment of uh, West African women and Nigerian women did, yeah, yeah, and Nigerian women did take uh, did take to it. So they are stiff material. Mm-hmm. They uh, remind me of of Tyvek sort of, where it's like, is it paper? Okay. Is it cloth? <laughs> Doesn't uh, necessarily feel soft. Yeah, or, it's it's yeah. it's crunchy. It makes a sound. It um, when you fold it, it holds its form. It holds its creases, so it retains memory in that way, which I really appreciate. So um, so f- further down the line, um, it's it started becoming copied by Chinese markets, and mm-hmm. so and if those have started to flood for uh, many years now at least a decade been flooding um nigerian markets so it's no it's no it's no longer easy to find um the original haze head ties um although um i think the netherlands now make some versions of them too um i think there are scholars who research that kind of stuff uh, deeper suffice to say it's a transnational textile provenance that has been fully embraced as nigerian so i took okay. those textiles folded them um into in these or an origami style um into uh sort of abstract house objects so one of mm-hmm. them is black uh and that represents um Afri- africa and then the other one is um red it was origin originally uh white but i painted it in red o- o- ochre um mm-hmm. paint uh natural pigment paint as a way to almost like imbue it with um, a, a sense of the color and texture of the of the sands from uh yoruba land where um, i'm from in western nigeria it has which has red uh, ochre soil and then on top of it of that is a drawing, um, uh, not precise drawings, but drawings of the street maps of like the first of the three uh, main cities I've lived in in each state that I've lived in in, uh, in the U.S. Uh, on okay. top of that, so uh, so one is black. Um, it has it has the uh, um, pattern, sort of a tone on tone black pattern. Um, from the uh, that comes with the head tie, and the other one is um, painted and more embellished. Um, and then uh, on top of them, of the two, are uh, it, uh, a split, a quote from um, Bell Hooks. Um, yes. So the quote goes: "At times, home is nowhere. At times, one knows only extreme estrangement and alienation." then home is no longer just one place, it is locations. So that is split um, into two and um, embroidered in my handwriting um, on uh, uh, the roof line, one side of of the roof line of uh, each of the pieces. So you would have to circumnavigate the piece uh, in order to read the full quote. So sort of taking a 
metaphorically taking a journey with me <laughs> going from yeah. continent to continent. They are also uh, conjoined um, with exactly 24 um, lengths of um, uh, embroidery thread uh, mm-hmm. as a sort of making a sort of like um, um, uh, umbilical cord, but each of the, the 24 marks 24 years that I've been away from home. Uh, Nigeria, mm-hmm. where I was born, and then even the length of it is specific. It is exactly <laughs> the length of two iPhones. <laughs> Wait, really? Yes. Oh, <laughs> I. I mean, I got the uh, listeners. I've seen the pieces and I've read the. I the, didn't catch that the detail. Length, oh, the I length, love that detail. The length of the umbilical cord, specifically. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> so your connection to home. Um, the connection to home. So yeah. Through a phone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so and if you guys want to do the math, you can find out how old she is <laughs> if you listen closely to the podcast. How dare you? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, what am I? What am I gonna do? I'm 43. There it is. <laughs> wow. I did not think you were 43 because yeah. I was like, oh, you. In my mind, somehow because I thought you were younger than me, but um, oh. you're not. And. Well, because we've been talking about school and et cetera, and your transition after that and how you've described this as this consistent, um, using that word, peripatetic, which you introduced to me, which I love so much, um, which is, you know, working from place to place and not having that kind of stability. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have been moving around a lot then. Wow. You are. Yeah. Yeah. for me, I thought maybe, oh, maybe she's been on the hunt for this full-time position for like five years or et cetera. Um, but you have been like a working artist living this lifestyle from opportunity to opportunity for a very long time. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I got to sort of like the providence of my sort of art bona fides um, after mm-hmm. talking about like how to how I even got to the USA. But <laughs> Yeah. I, did, I did go to undergrad at University of North Texas. Um, I went to, okay. uh, went through the communication design program for BFA. Um, okay. So that was, I graduated like 2005 or something. And then of course the economic crash, did, economy crash to 2008. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's funny. I, I, I say that I went to the same three that, millennials did but i'm i'm a, a zillennial where were those ones on the cusp i'm a gen x yeah. and a millennial so you know all the disasters that happened to all of us you know the the crash and the 9-11 and all of the things you know and then mm-hmm. you know with all of those things happened i was sort of working in the field but mostly after 2008 i wasn't able to recoup so i was um working at a retail job at paper source <laughs> at the time in Dallas, Texas and doing freelance design and copywriting, et cetera, for the longest time. And then I finally decided to go to grad school and I went okay. to grad school in, uh, at the applied craft and design program. That was my MFA at uh, Pacific Northwest university and the gone too soon, Oregon uh, college of art and craft. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I know. <laughs> um, okay. And, and uh, so, yeah, so that that's the provenance of my degree. So, yeah, I've been working okay. so much through, 
you know, through that time, first in like yeah. the design field, which I probably realized sort of even without the crash was not for me because just, yeah. and I admire the people who have the skills for it and I still have such an affinity for design, um, et cetera. But I just, it just wasn't for me, like the computer bound life sort of. Yeah, uh, although ironically, hard. I do a lot of that as a as a professor as well, <laughs> as an art professor <laughs> as well. But um, I just realized that I wanted, uh, because when the crash happened, I went home to Nigeria, and I think it reawakened all the parts of me that I had subsumed in order to assimilate into yeah. American culture, and was sort of reawakened to like, yeah, I lived around craft and handwork and handmaking all my life, and I'd somehow like, you know, <laughs> dusted it off and went to join the, you know, computerized um, rat race of it all. And then I, uh, when I came back, I basically sort of threw myself into craft again, which is how I've come back around um, mm-hmm. to doing it um, through grad school and after. Is I would say is when I I felt I felt um, to call myself like a, a properly an artist, I guess <laughs> in that yeah. way. Yeah. Um, I like that you took some time between them and then went back to grad school. I always I, I think, think that it's... I think it was very helpful. I'm always surprised that yeah. the students, uh, my students too, who graduated and were going immediately to grad school. I was like, mm-hmm. well, you know, to each their Maybe own. To... But I feel yeah. like you need the life experience, you know, to uh, really know. Yes, I really, <laughs> I really, I agree with you. Yeah. Bukola, with the pool... Mm-hmm. You know, as objects, we make things that can have, of course, with your piece, there's multiple, there's symbolism in there and meaning behind it, everything that you incorporated into it. Right. Um, with this piece, is there something specific you're trying to say? Are you just trying to speak to missing home or is it even that? Um, well, so the, you know, I, I created it at the end of last year. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of been have been going on in our country. Uh, we are just, you know, sort of got a new president by the skin of our teeth <laughs> after yeah. the Trump years. And um, I had spent um, a lot of time um, after a fellowship ended being housing insecure. Um, mm-hmm. So being housing insecure and in a foreign country and also missing home and not being able to go home, even if I wanted to in a pandemic, sort of sort of mm-hmm. um, drove that home for me, you know. So the, I yeah. kept seeing the abstract shapes of houses everywhere. It was also sort of pulled to the works of like people like Mona Hatoum, um, um And I think, it's, I think her name is Zarina Hadid, Hamid or Hadid. Um, who made a lot of um, printmaking, paper-based works, um, some sculpture that used the form of the house specifically. So um, for me, the, the the shape of the house was sort of just an avatar for like the homesickness and yeah. a feeling of that that was happening for me at the time. Um, and so those textiles, because they're transnational textiles, which spoke to me, speaks to me who's as this person who is in the, the liminal space between cultures and is also thus a trans, transcultural, transnational person. Um, it felt um, uh, natural to work with them. 
to yeah. make them into a form of the house, the origami, uh, respectfully uh, gleaned from uh, Japanese origami, but spe- but specifically using it because of its mathematical uh, compli- complications, right? Which mm-hmm. which um, is sort of speaks to a, a complicated <laughs> situation in existence as a person who lives between cultures. Um, yeah. And so the work is very much about, you know, with this idea of the umbilical cord mm-hmm. and um, uh, which is, uh, which is denotes how long and how many years I've been away from my family. It's very much sort of a love letter to like other immigrants and the uh, perpetual pull for, for home between cultures. Yeah. yeah. At this point in your life, how do you define home? Because I know for me through my life, different experiences or people we lose or et cetera, mm-hmm. um, our definition of home or what we think of home shifts. Yeah. And I'm curious to know what you define as home. I think, um, you know, at this point in my life and after living such a uh, I'll use your favorite word again, peripathetic <laughs> existence. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, from state to state, from uh, job or school to school, you know, mm-hmm. um, I've made friends along the way. And I don't collect, I'm not the kind of person that collects friends. I'm an introvert. So I guard my space, my life, my people jeal- jealously, I would say. So mm-hmm. um, to me, sp- home is has become more people you know and the locations that they're in and it and it shifts from time to time you know and sometimes i'm i can spend a a whole year being homesick for nigeria and maybe i can't go home for whatever reason or or the other and i never feel settled based on where i am and i don't know i feel like eventually if i buy a house and pick Mm -hmm. a spot on the map on the on (laughs) the giant's you know, colonized land that is America and, and buy a piece of it and steward it. Um, perhaps I can think of it as home, but yeah. in this time where, um, you know, I feel for the, for the young, but I'm in their, in their shoes as well as an artist who's never yeah. been paid enough to, you know, that to match her talents or her time or her worthiness. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I can afford that, but it, it's something I'm working towards, you know. Um, I'm there with and you. Then maybe, and then maybe that will finally be, be home. But at, in the, at this point, it is locations and people. I I like that. I think of peop- people as home too. Yeah. Which was, again, hard in the pandemic because it made me realize most of my people are not where I currently live. Yes, <laughs> this so, was it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you can't have that constant stream of like visits or them coming to see you or et cetera. So that part's tough for sure. Cause I have like people I adore in so many cities. Um, Yeah. And, you know, for whatever reason, and mostly at this time, it's, it's mostly work based. I just can't be where they are. So, yeah. And I think there's something about it that we're so lucky to have that. Because I've had conversations with people that they're like, you seem to have friends in all these cities and that's amazing. And how does that even happen? And yeah, <laughs> and I, I forget the look at the other side. It's like, oh, right. <laughs> it's a really beautiful thing to have people in all these different places who have all these different types of experiences there and have yeah. that kind of diverse group of people is um, 
a very fortunate thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, that is a lovely way to look at it, you know, to know that Mm -hmm. you can go to, for me, I can go to Houston and um, Portland and (laughs) Providence, Rhode Island, um, which I've never been to, but I know I have one of my, my friends um, uh, lives close friends lives there and you know Maine I'm closer to them now about 45 minutes away at least for the next five months so they're very excited about that I'm very excited about that Um, but it's just really lovely to to have have that you know even if you don't Mm -hmm. have permanent home base and I often feel a tinge of jealousy for at least people who are born here and if you're lucky enough to be close to your family then you know mm-hmm. where home is, right? Even if you don't live in, yeah. a, in a town, maybe you live the next town over or it's a short drive. But for me, it's uh, a journey across the Atlantic. <laughs> I was going to say, or even a five-hour plane ride. Oh, even a five-hour like plane ride. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I get that. Yeah. Um, my last question for you is, is there somewhere you specifically want to be or do you not really know until... Oh, wow. <laughs> I great, know, right? It's a hard question. It is. It's a great question. Um, and I think we talked about it in the, in the pre-interview a little bit, too. I, right now, where I want to be is where <laughs> I can find community. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and if I'm lucky... Um, anti-racist, anti-colonialist uh, co-workers at a school where I can work toward tenure. Yeah. Right now, that that is that would at least be some level of security. I think I'm, as well as an introvert, a sort of practical, I, I say about myself a lot, practical optimist. Like I love to think about what is possible, but I will research everything into the ground. (laughs) You know, you're pragmatic, right? A pragmatic person. And so I know I don't have family here. I don't come from wealth. I need to work to live. Um, How do I do that and retain some semblance of order and safety and security in my life and hopefully Mm -hmm. make enough that I might um, also care for my own uh, around the world when they need me. Um, and, um, you know, sorry, I just choked up that, at that because I was just able to send my mom some money after two years, um, especially the last year of not having anything to send her. Sorry. Sorry. No, that's, (laughs) please do not apologize. I I didn't know I would start blubbering. Um, Hey. I but, cry every time I think about my mom uh, in any context. <laughs> so yeah, you okay. know, my mom and my dad are still alive, and yeah. you know, things are not easy for them. Um, but you know, I'm grateful to my brother Tunde who lives nearby and does his best for them too. But you know, Nigeria has an yeah. up- upheaval, like a lot of um, an economically sort of stress the way a lot a lot of our countries are these days, especially on the african continent so anyway just being able to care for them um so yes my security hopefully breeds security for them and so that's that's i'm more focused on that than any sort of pie in the sky ideas of like um Mm -hmm. 
I'm going to live in New York or California or whatever. And I, I say that to people often that I didn't grow up here. I wasn't born in a specific place. I don't have family here, et cetera. So yeah. America, I, America, no specific place in America holds a specific tie to me. Yeah. Um, if that makes I don't know. Did that, that makes English a lot of make sense. sense at all? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, There's nowhere you feel you identify with your childhood or who you are. So right. really. Yeah. yeah. I just want, you know, if I can find a static job and maybe buy a house with a small garden and I can decorate it and invite friends over for dinner. Yeah. And maybe eventually find a partner, um, you know, whose presence is more desired than my own solitude, then I think all, all will be well with the world. But, Ooh, um, I like that last <laughs> sentence, whose presence is desired more than my own solitude. That's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's not entirely mine, I don't think. Someone has written something <laughs> elo- <laughs> eloquent somewhere on the internet or whatever. But giving you know, cre- Bukola giving credit. I yeah, like it. No, yeah, yeah. That, I'm a, it's the professor in me must tell you when it's not mine. I totally stole that from someone. Thank you. Um, I have really enjoyed our conversation today and I want to say thank you so much for um, everything that you've shared. Thank Uh, you. I appreciate it. (laughs) As we wrap things up, is there anything else you want to say to listeners before we say goodbye? Um, I think I just want to say, um, uh, I hang in there. <laughs> These are really trying, trying times. Um, hold on to the to your people, and sometimes that's not immediate family. Sometimes that's friends. Um, immigrants have to do that all the time, and mm-hmm. we are just here to, uh, you know, uh, we <laughs> we're just here to work and take care of our own as well. And um, mm-hmm. I hope that. Um, this these divisions will one day uh, find a way to ease or cease. But I am being a pragmatist. I also realize that that is a long way to go, and um, I just hope to be able to do my work, teach my students, and get on with life. And I hope you guys find your own safe spaces as well. Thank you for listening. <laughs> So listeners, as I said before, there is a link in the description of this podcast that you can click now to see Bukola's piece, um, The Pool. And then of course, in the American Craft magazine that is coming out, um, you can also see her work and read about the piece in there. Um, Bukola, thank you so much. Thank you. The Object As series is hosted and produced by me, Sarah Rachel Brown of the Perceived Value Podcast in collaboration with the American Craft Council and supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts. Subscribe to the American Craft Podcast wherever you listen and follow us on social media at Craft Council. This program and many like it are supported in part by our members. You can support future programs and the American Craft Council by becoming a member yourself. Go to craftcouncil.org join to learn more. Thank you for being a part of the conversations.